Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. It's in Psalms, and it's the 23rd chapter. And I know many of you probably never studied that, probably never even heard it. But tonight we're going to get into it so that we're all uh, well equipped. Uh, listen, y'all, just, that just went like a mile and a half high over 98% of the church. Three people just smiled when I said, uh, yeah. But uh, Psalm 23 is an awesome, it's an awesome, awesome song. Psalm. To me, of course it is a song, and it literally should be our birth to our death, and it covers everything in between. Now, when I say our birth, I would even talk about from our spiritual birth, because people who are not followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord is not their shepherd. God created them. He's their creator, but he's, he's not in fellowship with them, because what is the first prayer when you say, well, tell somebody that's not a Christian to pray about it? Do you realize what you do when you say that? You are asking them to engage in the true definition of insanity because people will pray and they're going to do the same thing over expecting a different outcome, but it cannot happen because there is no power in prayer until one prayer, the first prayer that can ever be heard by anyone, by God, is the prayer of repentance. Because we cannot enter his presence until what? We confess our sin and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's why it's important to recognize, don't tell your lost friends, all things work together for good. You're lying to them. That's not true. If they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that does not apply to them. And you've got to be very careful because we can be well-meaning as Christians and say things that are actually detrimental to someone who's not a Christian because it's not going to happen like they believe it will happen because it can't happen according to God's word, purpose, plan, or will because if it doesn't line up with his word, his purpose, or his will, it cannot turn out for good. God will use a lost person in the life of a believer to make a situation turn out for his glory and good. Amen? Why do we know that's true spiritually? Because what do we do when we want to know a spiritual principle and whether it's truth of God's word is true? We go to his word. One of the first few times I remember in such vivid display of God using the lost to, in essence, bless believers, followers of God, is in the Egyptians. When God favorably predisposes the Egyptians to the Israelites when they're getting ready to leave Egypt. Can you imagine this? These are people that were slaves in Egypt. These were people that were in no way embraced by the Egyptians other than to be slaves for them and to do their work. What does God do? God turns the hearts of the Egyptians to be favorably disposed to them. And look what happens. Even to the fact that the very, the very Pharaoh who ends up dying as he's drowned in the Nile, his daughter raised the very man that led the uprising of the Israelites to be able to be delivered in the first place. 
Because he'd order, there was the death of what? The death of all the children under two and under. What happened? Moses' mama says, I'm not doing it. So hides them. Who finds them? Isn't it ironic? And isn't it so interesting about how God works things out? Who ended up raising this child ultimately, really? The very mother. The very mother raised it until he was, in a sense, old enough to, to fend from, eat at uh, McDonald's by himself, right? So I always say the mom does the job of raising him to then go eat at McDonald's with you by yourself. And then the dads start raising the kids. So that what happens when they'd raised Moses to the point that Moses was not needing all of that care? Then the daughter of Pharaoh begins. And he ra he's raised in Pharaoh's home. All to show you the power of God and his ability to use anyone or anything for his glory. We often get discouraged because, oh, my boss, my this, my, they're not Christians. And Brother Jonathan, they're not Christians, so I don't know how it can work out. Trust me, it's not an issue for God. God will and can do anything, and it doesn't change our ability to defy that person because they're not a believer. If your boss, you don't like him because, well, they sneeze, cough, are unreasonable, God doesn't say anything about defying him. You do what you can do in the proper way, in the proper channels, in the proper means, but you submit to the authority that you have been placed under because there is no authority but that which what God has instituted. And when we rebel against that authority, we rebel against God himself. So tonight, again, we're going to look at the fact of how God's supernatural provision, and we're going to begin this unfolding and unpacking of Psalm 23. This is one of my favorite psalms. Of course, the next time we're in another one, I'm going to tell you that too. I just love God's word. And all of it is real, all of it's relevant, and I hope tonight that you're encouraged by this, and, and I pray that you'll be here week in and week out as we go through this study. We're going to look again at verses 1 through 2, and if you're able physically tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Father, thank you tonight for your word, God, for the truth of it. Lord, as we begin this study, Father, lay bare any intentions of our hearts, Lord, anything that would separate us from your presence, any unrepented sin. God, I pray that this study would grow us in our understanding of you and the beauty of who you are as our shepherd, our father, our God, our creator. Lord, I just pray that we would begin in every moment of our lives to be more passionate about you, to dwell in your presence continually, perpetually, Father. And God, that we may grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Holy Spirit in preparation, Father, for that day that you take us in your presence. Lord, let us run faithfully, fearlessly in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit until that day comes. We ask this in Jesus' holy, righteous, and precious name we pray. Amen. May be seated. Uh, the other uh, day, I happened to pass a, a field. It's a very beautiful part of our county. It's about five miles from our house. I love this place. It's, a, it's actually, it turns to a gravel road, so it's not traveled a lot. It's a single lane gravel road. And at the top of this, you can see all over Shelbyville. It is gorgeous. It drops straight down on both sides of the road. There's this narrow little road that goes down this, literally, it's like a cliff on both sides. And, um, of course, we're standing up there just taking a break, and uh, walks this horse, this horse out of nowhere, this horse. And this horse evidently needs, as a matter of fact, it was a, um, um, 
Shetland pony. Beautiful little Shetland pony about that big comes up, ended up pulling up some grass, feeding it. It had not been taken care of. Its hooves were all curled over. I felt really bad for it, but I spent some time petting this. And then I got ready to leave, and I look on the other side, and here is, is I'd say, 100 to 200 had a beautifully sheared sheep. At the top of this hill, just in the serenity of a nice, beautiful oak trees and the shade of it, and I looked, though, because I said, you know, we're out in the country, and you have the you have bobcats, and we have uh, coyotes. We have all these predators, and I was sharing with the people with me. I said, you know, it's interesting because uh, let me just help you understand about sheep. They are defenseless. Sheep don't have these teeth that they can bite with. They don't growl. They don't. As a matter of fact, when you have a wheat experience this at our house, somebody had a sheep that the mom had rejected, and we tried to, to bottle feed it, and this thing just had no will to live. And it died in the trailer when we were up there at the trailers in the middle of the night one night on a freezing cold night. They just don't have a will to live. They're not able to do for themselves like most other animal, animal kingdom. So they need shepherded. And I was looking because I did not see uh, great white Pyrenees. A lot of times they have great white Pyrenees that, they will, that the, they'll raise with the sheep and they end up staying with them. And you might think that those... Big white dogs that lay on the side of the road, a lot of times you'll see them are just those dumb little dogs that don't do anything. Let me tell you one thing. If those have been trained and raised with those sheep, they will kill you to protect those sheep. That, though, looking at the picture of us as Christians, we look at Scripture because we understand from a scriptural perspective and us not being farming for the most part in our current culture. You're not someone who has cattle or livestock, you don't know much about the understanding of these. It's just a story, a sheep. Okay, we're a sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? That means when Jesus attributes us to be sheep, we are helpless apart from a shepherd. Apart from our protector, we are defenseless. We are hopeless. What would happen when a shepherd would leave sheep in the scriptural time what would happen? The wolves. The wolves came in. Because wolves are always, just like lions and just like those predatory animals, they're always looking to exploit weaknesses. They want weaknesses. We're going to get into this later on, even in the fact of how sheep eat and sheep drink. The importance of certain elements of sheep's ability to actually eat and be healthy is determined in how good the shepherd provides for and protects his sheep. But tonight, that first part of verse 1 again, the Lord is my shepherd. And again, that's a question tonight, tonight for all of us, whether you're online or in this building. Who's your shepherd? That's the first life application principle. It's a question tonight. Who's your shepherd? Again, it's, it's very difficult for us, uh, as I was saying to someone on the phone last year whom was going through a period of tribulation. They'd never really experienced financial trials, and I've lived it so long in my lifetime that I have lived hand-to-mouth provision, and I find great comfort in it. And I was sharing with the person, I said, you know, maybe God is bringing you to that place because you can say you have faith. It's easy to say, oh, I, oh man, God's so good, I have faith. And I'll just tell you yesterday with patience, at 6.15 uh, yesterday, we got that horrible storm at work. And I'm telling you, it was, well, I don't know where you were at. If you were where I was, it was bad. Lightning, storm, raining so hard on that building. Patients were scared to death. They were shutting, and all of them, I went in their rooms. I said, hey, wait a minute. Who's, who's your God? 
God's got this. I am in no, I said, if anybody, and that's what I did, I, I used myself as always an example. I said, if anybody should be uncomfortable right now, it should be me. I have a family in a stick-built house on top of a hill in the southern part of this county. We are in a block building, single story. If anybody should worry, it should be me. But I said, see, my God's got my family, and my God's got you. And I said, you just take a deep breath. I'll shut your shades. And it really helped. And they would actually start, and I just said, just pray about it. So I got to go room after room and share with them, focus on the shepherd, pointing them in the reminder, because as sheep, what do we have? We have short memories. We forget about that. <clears throat> the first trial comes, the first tribulation comes, the first thing we do, we grasp onto something tangible, and the easiest thing to grasp onto, if we're not careful, becomes fear. And due to the fact that fear is a liar, what it does is act as a snowball. And the more you allow that to be engaged, what have we done? We have broken from the scriptural mandate to pray without ceasing, so we've allowed a trait to come in that's sinful. Amen? It's sinful because what fear does is said, God, I don't believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. So we've allowed the enemy to say, God is a liar, and we've adopted that whenever we allow fear to take control of our hearts and in our lives. So what is the important thing to do? It is the proverbial picture that people always talk about. It is faith over fear. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we know that God is going to do his part beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what the external circumstances of life may throw at us. God is faithful. He's always faithful. And we know scriptures, why I share these verses, these key verses in my life. I'm in um, <clears throat> Walmart, uh, I think it's Sunday afternoon, and I'm getting ready to check out. And I, I'm not a tattoo person, I'm sorry, I don't. I, I, um, we we, we want to talk about that one if you want to have a conversation about it. But I may hurt your feelings, and if that's okay, we love each other, amen? But uh, this young lady had a tattoo on there, it said Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I said, I love your verse. What, what, you, what, what I said your verse right there, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So I, I went, because I didn't want her to think I was just trying to be, you know, candid and strike up a conversation. I said, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And she said, you know, I got that there, so I'd always be reminded that God would lead me if I'd let him. And it was just really cool to hear her understanding of that in the context of why she got that and what that means to her. But see, that's one of those things. And the reminders, we have to be continually reminded and reiterate the importance of biblical truths. It's very, very easy for us because we have such short memories, don't we? It doesn't matter. If you wake up in the morning, you can literally, a pastor's, for instance, Sundays. <clears throat> hear me talk about it. It's the pinnacle of a pastor's week. It's the culmination of everything that you have, have meditated on. You've been in God's word. You've been literally in God's presence if you're a man that is led by the Holy Spirit and being faithful to what God's word calls you to be as a pastor. You have literally spent your entire week meditating, working on, and developing these messages God lays on your heart. This is not something that you wake up with one morning and go, all right, guys, <laughs> turn to um, Daniel. No, that is not a faithful shepherd and in no way should be an attitude of anybody who is faithfully and rightfully dividing the word of truth. This is something that requires time. It requires input, but most importantly, the input first and foremost of the Lord of creation, the God, what? The shepherd. 
I'll tell you this tonight, unequivocally, hands down, church, my shepherd is Unumero Uno. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It is Yahweh. It is God. It is Yah, as some people say, Y-A-H. That's my God. That's my shepherd. That's my Lord. That's my king. I don't want to be shepherded by anything or anyone else. You think money can't shepherd you? Oh, it'll shepherd you. <clears throat> it's a wicked taskmaster. It'll take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It will have you worship at his feet faithfully, and it will let you live your life in fear. What is the fear of? I've known very, very wealthy people. One of the biggest battles that I've seen that is literally across the board with many of them that are not yielded to the Lord in many respects is fear of losing their money, fear of not having enough money to make it and outliving your money. I had somebody say to me a number of years ago, they came up and they were dead serious, and they said, for the first time in my life, I'm not worried that I will outlive my money. And that's heartbreaking to me. Why is that heartbreaking to me? Because it showed me that money has the wrong place in that. Because listen, I don't care how much you have. God can have you outlive your money. God can have your money outlive you. But it doesn't matter because what do we know about God's promise, church? Let me just show you. Ready? Second part of verse 1. I like this better in the King James. Can you believe I said it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise God, somebody's about to shout on, online, I guarantee you right now. They're in the living room right now with their King James running around. Go, he just quoted it. Praise God, he said he preferred that. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning, I have everything I need as this version. I like how this version says that. Meaning, God is going to give us everything that we need. So my question is, the second pr principle tonight, do you have all that you need? Do you have all your needs? Do you have all right now that it's being required to maintain your breath and your life? If you'd say no, I can guarantee you it's not because of obedience that you're in want. What do you mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will have no needs. God supplies, what does Scripture say? All of my needs according to His glorious riches in Christ. Doesn't get any better than that. That's a promise. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And all things give for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. So if I have something right now, or I don't have something, if right now you don't have something that you may think is a need, I would ask you to step back and reflect and see if it's a need in the first place. If it is truly a genuine need, I can assure you it's on the way. The only issue right now becomes a timing issue. What did I share about Sunday morning? Sometimes it's not a no, it's just not a now. It's not now. God's got a different time frame for things right now. Isn't it ironic that you hear people that will get in a bind and all of a sudden they want some fellowship with the Lord. Oh, I've hit a rough place. I need to start coming to church again and I need to start doing things because I'm having a tough time. Oh, what is this? Holy Spirit Life Preserver Week? Oh, we find out we need God so we're going to get out the little slot machine and we're going to pull it out and hopefully God will let me hit the big one. I can assure you and assure you and promise you right now there's a whole lot of people promising God a whole lot. You might be one of them. 
God, just let me hit that billion dollars. I'll do so much for the Lord. Please don't tell me. Don't raise your hand. Do not let me know if you do that. Just have said that in your heart, and I mean that. Oh, please. I'll give you story after story. I can quote the words from the people who said the same thing you thought you, you mean in your statements. You'll learn to serve yourself better than anybody else. Anybody remember Jack? Um, I know his name was Jack. Big black cowboy hat. He won the biggest lottery there ever been won in America's history at that point. You know, Jack died last year, I believe it was. You know, Jack had lost his granddaughter. He lost, destroyed everything, lost everything. Everything. Died, broke. Remember, oh, he was the guy that was going to, he built the church. He did. He funded his church. But guess what? Remember the first time he lost $100,000 when he was at a club where people are devoid of clothes because he left $100,000 in a suitcase in his trunk. People broke in the car and got the money out. I know that wasn't the church. And I know that was not part of probably his thought process when that large jackpot came in. But let me just assure you, when I tell you that money is a wicked taskmaster, I've had Christians after I've shared this and, and even reiterated after conversations with them, I've had people that were, hey, they were honest enough, and I appreciate it, to say, you know what, I know it might ruin me, but I'd like an opportunity to see. Dead serious. I'd like an opportunity to see if it ruined me. Who's your God? Who's your king? Who's your shepherd? Who's your Lord? I don't want no, I, I really... I really don't want an opportunity, if I believe that about myself, to find out if I'm that, to, to test the Lord. Amen? If you have all your needs tonight, why are you wanting more? Now, I understand if you're truly a philanthropist heart, and you're, if you're a philanthropist heart right now, you know where it's showing? It shows in your tithing, and I don't know who tithes here. I don't know what you tithe. Thank you, Jesus. I never wanted any. You know why? I never wanted to get mad. I never wanted the enemy to give me an opportunity to get mad. Because I know who works. And if somebody who's in here shouting glory, hallelujah, is being unfaithful with their money, the only thing it'd do is make me mad. Because I'd want to walk up to them and say, what's wrong with you? You shout glory, hallelujah in here, but you're not demonstrating the greatest essence of your faith that you can possible? Stop talking and start living. I don't preach about money, church, do I much? At all, do I? I do that for the part I'm not up here dancing and doing rent money dances for you guys to fill the offering plate. It's not about me. I know that God's promise gives me all the assurance that I ever need that God's going to provide for this ministry because he will provide all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. So as long as we keep him in all things preeminent, we have no issue to worry about in the financial needs of the church, do we? The only thing God may do sometimes is test to see if we're going to be faithful. God may let us run a little short like he did even this last year, but look what he's done this year. He's been so faithful, and he's showing us, I'll provide. Are you going to be faithful, church? His promise doesn't require me to stand up here and guilt you into doing what you should do freely. Amen? Amen. Praise God. But do you have all your needs tonight? And if your answer to that is no, I want to encourage you to get on your face before the Lord and see if there's anything that could be hindering the flow of God's supernatural blessing on your life that is a promise when we live in obedience to Him and maybe we can discern if, ready? The dam of sin has welled up the lake of God's blessing or the flow of God's blessing and we need to do a little 
renovating to the three letters that has prevented the supernatural power and provision of God to continue to flow into our lives. And if we deal with that three-letter word, the S-I-N letter, the little S-I-N word, sin, doesn't matter how inconsequential you may think it is or I may think it is, it's a big deal in the presence, the person, and the power of God because it stops God's ability to bless us and to intervene in our lives and anything else. And the intervention that happens is pain. And it's not because God sits back and goes, I'm going to blow them up. No, it's God saying, you're going to experience the consequences of your desire to be disobedient and sinful. And you're going to experience the pain as what, taking part in the unworthy manner of the, the body of Christ. That's why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you sleep. Very powerful scripture that reiterates the importance of recognizing this is an institution you better not be taking lightly. The fellowship of believers, the body of Christ. God is zealous for the body of Christ in a serious way. God is zealous to keep his bride holy, and therefore we should be holy because he is holy. We should not, as I shared on Sunday, try to see how much the world and sin we can live in and still make it to heaven. You know, I don't care if I'm sweeping the streets. What? And I want to keep saying this because it resonates and it's an important thought process. You're just hoping you get in? You don't want to enter God's presence like Stephen did? What's wrong with you? You just want to get there? That shows me your heart's in the wrong place. I want to enter God's presence having been faithful. I want to enter God's presence like Stephen when they're stoning Stephen. And Stephen's standing there praying forgiveness over Paul's process, Saul, standing there, presiding over the stoning of this brother in Christ who was not a brother to him at that point. They're throwing their cloaks at him, showing Paul, Saul was over this proceeding, killing this man. As he says, I see heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. First reference in Scripture since Jesus' death of him Standing after the finished work of salvation being signified when Jesus sits down at the right hand of God the Father. Whew. Praise God. Amen. Jesus stood to receive his man Saul, who had run the race faithfully unto death because he cared so much about the hearts of those who were killing him. As they gnashed their teeth, covered their ears to murder him. Oh, man, and God have mercy on their souls. Amen. Pray they all came to the truth. I do. And then the uh, second verse tonight, then we'll, we'll work through that. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, focus on this church, quiet, or as, as the King James, he leads me beside still waters. Another thing about sheep, they are warriors. You put sheep down in a barren pasture, and they don't rest. You know why? They worry. They, they don't know what they're going to do to eat. They get fearful. They worry. Even as animals, they do. They're not calm. They're not rested if they're laying in a place where there is no food to eat. So what does God do? God's showing us, listen, see, he makes me lie down in green pastures. God's showing, I will provide for you. I've got this. He gives us the supernatural 
blessing of God, the peace of God, so that we are able to recognize every day as we go home and lay down in that green pasture, so to speak, we have all of our needs taken care of. Woke up again this morning. The blessing of BCUD, Bedford County Utility District. What do you think happened? Nobody struck the well, right? The rock. Not a big deal. We had some gallons of water. Everything was fine, making me more appreciative of it. But see, I know that it's going to get taken care of. I know God's not going to leave us all high and dry. Amen? Yeah, it's frustrating. It's a hiccup in your day. Thankfully, I only got to have a shower this morning before that happened, and really everybody was showered before this occurred. Praise God. Could have gotten all mad about it. Could have called up there and destroyed my testimony and said, Don't you know who I am? I'm about sick and tired of this. What is this one-horse operation around here you guys are trying to run, right? And act real cool and try to get them to knock my bill down and all these things that people want to do to show how got to start flexing with people and show them how big and bad you are. What have you done? Nothing. You destroy your testimony. You do nothing for the kingdom, and you've not changed anything. They had a leak. I found out. I called the pump station over there near Halls Mills. They said, hey, yeah, we looked till 9 o'clock last night. Of course, you knew what's happened. 9 o'clock's pouring down rain. Go find a water leak in the rain. Amen? Good luck. So they went home. They waited till this morning after the rain had stopped, and they found it, and evidently sometime this afternoon they fixed it because I went down to my well pump. I put the breaker back in, and guess what? Voila, we have water. So the thing about those sheep, about water, there's an interesting thing that sometimes you'll miss if you don't dig into this scripture. Listen. He leads me beside the quiet, the still waters. You know what? Well, I've never even heard of Brother Jonathan, never even thought of that. I just thought, God's just promising to take you to where you'll have food and promise to give you water. That word, still waters, is important, quiet waters. Sheep, they don't want to drink out of water that's running. It scares them. They get scared real easy. They get nervous at everything. Anybody have sheep here, right? Don't they? They're scared of everything. They're scared of their shadows. They're more fearful than a fainting goat. They just don't know how to faint. You know what happens when you have still water? They're at peace. They're calm. When they know that there's food, they rest better. You know, this is what God's telling us. God's not going to lead us to a situation where which is going to leave us in a place where we don't know, we can't trust, we don't have the ability to know what he's going to do. No, no matter how rough the waters of life may get, we have God's promise that the stillness of God's presence, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. We have this perpetual promise, this whole book of promises that, listen, God says, I'll do my part. All you've got to do is yours. What is God's part to us? Matthew chapter 22, oh, um, cast all your cares on him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God says, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what your wife said she'll do. I don't care what your husband said he'll do. I don't care what your kids are threatening to do. I don't care what's going to happen in your mind that you think is going to happen to your grandmother, your grandfather, your grandchild, your granddaughter. Just give 
Just let me carry it for you. See, we, we have control issues, church, all of us. We want to control. And control everything. You want to control, oh, my house. I hear people say, oh, man, if my house ain't flawless, I just can't, I can't, I'm, I'm just a wreck. What's wrong with you? Why don't you invest in spending time with people? Don't worship your home. Yeah, keep it great and organized. You have the time to do it. Wonderful. Don't do it to the detriment of relationships because it can be a God just like anything else. Don't let your idol be a clean home. No one will ever sit around for generations. Oh, man, it was so amazing. Every time I went over there, the house was so clean. They'll actually mock you about it. I know this. Tell you what they will do. Yeah, you know, they cared more about their house when I was over there. I felt like I wasn't even a person because I was scared to death to touch something that they'd get upset about it. I've heard it out of people's mouths. I've experienced it myself. I'd love to go over to your house. Now, do I want to go over to a filthy house? Meaning a place that's filthy and dirty? No. A cluttered house? Shoot, I'll feel right at home. Because I know that you're going to, you care about investing in things that are important. Things, relationships, and the things of eternity. That's important, church. Your idols become this foolishness. You let God provide all your needs. You let God still the waters. And you focus on the created purpose that you have for your life. And I'm not saying live like a slob. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we only have a certain number of hours in every day. Spend time doing what matters. And if you're sacrificing relationships with, you know, say, you know, I don't have time to go out to eat breakfast or lunch with anybody. You spent 12 hours cleaning your house every day because you're a... You've got a mental condition where the, if anything's out of place, you just come out unwinded and all freaked out. Well, back up a minute. First of all, you're in sin because you're detrimentally making the inability for you to go out with people because why? Oh, your precondition of my house has to be perfect. I don't have time for anything else. What you're doing is you're forsaking the ministry of brothers and sisters in Christ, which beyond a shadow of a doubt is much more important than any clutter you or I could ever experience in life. Focus on those things that matter. It is the important things, the matters of the heart, because the matters of the heart are the things of eternity. Super, super important. Third and final thing I want to ask at night is, are you living in fear or perfect peace? God's provision is providing of that verse, verse, word by word. He lets me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. These are promises of God. The beauty of this is it's a promise. It's not a I hope. The only variable in that is the level with which our obedience, are we being obedient? Are we putting something in front of God's ability to lead us to green pastures and beside still waters? What will do that? Three letters. Starts with an S, ends with an N, and I give you three guesses to get the middle, the middle letter. It's a really hard one. It's an I, sin. Sin is the only thing that will prevent God from providing for us, protecting us, leading us, guiding us. We'll get led. We'll get led by the enemy right into divine judgment. And it's painful, and its purpose is to bring us back to the place that we can once again experience the blessing of God, living under the covenantal promises of God as a New Testament, New Covenant believer. We are under the promise, provision, protection, the blessings of God.
God has never once, ready? I'm only going to list a few of them. We've got the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then another we'll just mention, we've got, we got those three Old Testament covenants. I'm just mentioning those three right there. God has never broken one of them. Never. He never will. And sure enough, do you think God's going to break the new covenant, the New Testament promise of Jesus Christ, the, the eternal high priest, Christ Jesus, as our propitiation, our payment for sin? Do you think God's going to one day wake up and go, well, I'm tired of always keeping my end of things, but them not? No. How do I know that? Brother Jonathan, how can you be so sure that God's not going to change because I know God is going to do tomorrow what he's done yesterday? And God is ever faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? He cannot change. He never will. He never has, nor will he ever. And that, to me, church, is a great comfort tonight. But my question to you is, is he providing all your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ? Is there something tonight that you haven't let him have? Have you found yourself out of obedience with him? Have you found yourself not investing in kingdom work and wondering why in the world your finances are literally in shambles? You have no idea why nothing ever works, but yet you haven't even stepped into obedience as a Christian and done the very only place in God's word he ever says to test you in. Well, I can't will you to be obedient. I can't browbeat you. I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to guilt you into being obedient. What I'm telling you today is I'm a cause and effect kind of guy. I know there's causes of things that have effects. And I know that being unfaithful financially to the Lord is going to lead to seriously extreme financial issues. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt when God says to test them that if you are faithful in your finances, he will pour out such a blessing you can't contain it and you will see him provide all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ and you will not find yourself in need and will do supernatural things to meet needs in your life all to bring glory and honor to his name and to show you I told you no one else could do this but I will always do it when you are faithful. Are you experiencing that? If not, why not? What's the root of it tonight? We can talk about it all day long. You can sit in here and decide, you know, I'm going to get obedient next week. I'm going to wait till I get some more bills paid up before I start being faithful. Oh, good. That's real smart, amen? That's like saying, I'm going to stop drinking, smoking, and cussing and start coming to church so I can live for the Lord. But it's never going to happen in the first place because until you get a relationship with Jesus Christ, your little temporary stopping of things that you battle as a sinner, you're never going to have the power to get victory over your tongue, over the addictions, and anything else for that matter until God becomes the preeminent source of everything in your life. God will change everything about you. I shared on Sunday night, I believe, about my testimony. I'm going to do it here soon. I just got to figure out when this will be about a three-Sunday thing because that's how long it will take to do but when I gave my life to Christ, I literally said, I'm not going to stop drinking, smoking, not going to stop using the language that I used. And if you're the God that I believe you will, you'll take out what needs taken out. You'll put in what needs to be put in. And you know what's so ironic? The day before was the last day that I ever drank alcohol. And it was a supernatural, uh, absolute supernatural deliverance from God. And I had no will to stop. It was a boom. God filled my emptiness and he removed the catalyst with which was driving me to need an altered reality for that reason. 
I wasn't doing it because it was a medical need I was trying to deal with. No, this was simply, it was a psychological need and I had a feeling by using that substance and when God delivered me from it, you know what happened? I had no need for it anymore because the emptiness in my heart that I didn't even realize at that point was the thing that was driving me to desire an alternate reality. And that's what God does. He fills us with true belonging, true meaning, and true life. And tonight, I promise you, when you have friends that have addiction battles, don't tell them that proverbial statement I've heard so much in my life. Stop, stop doing this stuff and come to church. No, you lead them to the foot of the cross, to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, because then what you've done is invited the power to get true victory over these things that they can't get victory over truly get victory over them. You can go through a 28-day program and dance around that cow for about 60 years. Met a person this week, started using at 24 years old by a chance encounter on the streets of Chicago. Three years ago, now the man's 81 years old. Three years ago, his daughter brought him and they got him sobered up from using methamphetamines. If I have calculations right now correct, 57 years, he was an addict for 57 some odd close, plus or minus a couple years. He said, I've wasted my entire life. All of it. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, you're the first person I've met that's done drugs that long and lived. I said, I want to tell you something, man. God has been really good to you. And he started weeping. And he said, I know he has. And I said, you really owe him a lot. You really, truly owe him a gratitude of praise and glory that is unquestioned. I said, you're the first one I've ever met that's your age that did not die from what you've done for all these years. He said, I've, and his daughter was there, and she said, he ruined our entire lives right there in front of him. What are you going to keep letting tempt or dwell at your table that you ain't getting victory of right now, bitterness and anger and resentment, broken relationships with people, because why? Your pride won't let you swallow your pride enough to get God invited to the party. Now you're going to stand on that mountain and continue fighting something that's so wicked and ungodly it don't even matter. That's the same thing as using drugs. As a matter of fact, I think it's even more wicked because we think it's not as bad as that person that squandered their life using drugs. And your sin, you're sitting there cultivating and making a nice bed right there, and you're actually stroking it, feeding it, cultivating it, and justifying it right along. This guy justified none of it. He says, the worst thing I ever did that day that that man asked me, he saw the guy skipping up the road, and he was happy, and he goes, man, he said, I wanted whatever this guy had. He said, I was young and I was foolish. And he said, so I tried what the guy had, and it was the beginning of the unwinding of my entire life. Very famous artist, by the way, too. His stuff sells online. He was able to paint. He was able to sell some artwork. He didn't sell it for expensive money, but it sells expensive now online in the secondary market. All that man has ever done has been squandered. So the question becomes for us, what's in our life tonight that's preventing us? We might be functioning. He functioned. He's a functional addict. But tonight, what are you allowing in your life that's preventing you from allowing the he, the God of all creation, that will do all of everything that he promises to do? What's preventing tonight that blessing of God being poured out in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight as we begin this study through Psalm 23. Oh, God, you are such an awesome shepherd. 
You're such a faithful shepherd. You are a good shepherd. Thank you for all that you do. God, most of all, I thank you for Jesus tonight. I thank you for that gift of salvation that we recognize we do not deserve. And God, it's by grace that we've been saved. Thank you, Father, for it. Lord, I pray tonight for each and every person in this room, each and every person online, that they've stepped back and done an introspective look at the inside of their hearts, wondering tonight if you are their shepherd. And God, I pray as you convict us, as you lead us, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ and whether we are in fellowship with you or whether, God, tonight we aren't, Lord, whether we are being obedient or whether we're not, whatever needs to be done, I pray that tonight will be the night that we go from that place of rebellion, that place of sinful uh, wickedness, Lord, to a place of forgiveness, restoration. Lord, that place of perfect peace where you can lead us to green pastures and beside still waters and be the shepherd that we honor, we glorify, and we serve with our lives. During this invitation, Father, move in our hearts as only you can do. I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night that they confess their sin, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and become a follower of the living God of all creation as a new Christian God. Thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, God, that are new every morning. Thank you that you are so patient with us, and may you alone be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You want to pray by yourself tonight? Come over here. Nobody. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you you feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.